Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 44. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 44. It's Wednesday morning, coffee in the guide shack, August 22nd, the middle of week one of our 45th long-term immersion program here at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We just started the fall semester, and we're already in the thick of it. I'm joined here this morning with uh, Colin and Christopher, and the three of us make up the instructional team for this fall. How are we doing this morning, boys? Good. Yep, can't complain. Well, you can I'm always not complain. A Yankee. You can complain, I won't. <laughs> I mean, the coffee's not hot enough, the, you know, whatever. All right. Yeah. It's cold out. <clears throat> so today we're going to, we have four topics to talk at you with today. Number one is current events. We want to talk about the beginning of the semester and kind of what we've been doing so far. This semester is a big change from past semesters in that we have a fully functional second teaching area complete with a well and a hand pump and a cooking area. Um, and a bunch of rocket stoves, um, and so far, so good. Both Colin and Christopher are living there, and this is the new South Moose Vegas uh, teaching area. So how? tell me how life is in South Moose Vegas. Uh, it's been kind of cool seeing it change. I did uh, a lot of the clearing beforehand with just bringing down the trees, and then it's just as soon as people showed up, it stopped looking like a desolate field with stumps in it, and now it looks... I don't know, like people live there, which I guess like is a what desolate it is. field with stumps in it with people there. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like <laughs> tripping, a falling slab over city, them. if you will. Yeah, uh, a, uh... but no, it's nice. It's kind of I was we were just talking earlier about how they've only been here two days and they're already kind of making it home. They're putting up, you know, somebody bought solar lights to put in the like a little garden lights to put in the uh, put up near the tables, and it's all yeah. They're they're they've moved in officially and nice. totally. That's like a discussion that I often have with people on trips and just about anywhere that it always amazes me how quickly mm-hmm. just a random spot in the woods or on a riverbank becomes home. You know, and even if, you know, this summer canoe expedition, I don't know how many different camps we had, but we're out for a month. And even if you're just there for one night, really, you're, you know, you're there for like 12 hours, maybe total. Yeah. But even in that period of time when you're packing up and leaving, you're always like, oh, I kind of hate to leave this spot. It feels so, so homey. You know, and I think that's an amazing thing that happens. You know, I wonder if other species do that besides us, besides us humans, right? Where we sort of, 
you know, get our, get our, uh, meat hooks into a place and make it very home-like. Yeah, basically wherever we lay our hat is home, and that's kind of the, uh... So, in order to solve the homeless problems in America, we just got to provide everybody with hats? Pretty much. Yeah, I, I think if we had a place hat to drive. hang them. <laughs> yeah. We're solving stuff. Yeah, 2020, running for office. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been cool to see them, see them kind of get into the swing of things, and, uh... You know, they kind of get a touch, of, a taste of how the systems up here work and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So topic two is system-based approaches, right? That's kind of what we do. It's how we live here. It's what we teach here. And for every problem that we need to solve or every every aspect of living outdoors, we have a corresponding system in order to make things simple and easy. Mm. And the beauty of a systems-based approach is that we're not you know, trying to solve the same problem a hundred different times. You solve it once and then you have the system in place to, uh, to make things simple and easy. So we've got systems for food storage, for cooking, for doing dishes, for water, toilets, you know, the whole nine yards. And that, those are all just basic living here, you know, basic living with no infrastructure. That isn't part of the like instructional program that we do. It's not, um, you know, it's inherent in what we teach, but it's not like an overt, lesson i would say that it allows us to run the programs that we do it, it allow it sort of life up here is not um difficult it's pretty simple um because of those systems and would you say it's not complex or it's not difficult as the opposite of simple it's simple here because it's not difficult or it's simple here because it's not complex can you refill my coffee before i answer this question i think there's a difference <laughs> no i agree i, I absolutely see where you're coming point. from yeah oh Life here is not complex. There's not a lot going on. It's a very simple sort of lifestyle. And that's good because the systems work and are easy to manage um, once they know them, which they've been spent the last two days learning. But once they know those systems, it sort of a lot of the sort of daily worries of modern life aren't really there so much. And we can we can focus on um, and we can kind of focus on getting into the meat of the educational stuff that we're going to go over. So what was it, uh, Maslow's uh, pyramid, where um, hierarchy of needs? Yeah, and so I just, think just so for those of you out there, the psychologist Abraham Maslow came up with this hierarchy of needs, which is the the it's a pyramid, and you can't move up a step on the pyramid until you've got those uh, that level of needs met. So the very basic level is things like food, sleep, and then you get up to you know basic physiological needs, then you get up to like companionship needs. And it goes all the way up, and the top rung is like self-actualization. So I think a lot of what systems-based um, uh, educational philosophy, and especially what we do here, is that we we cover the basics. It's, it, it, we make it so you can um, uh, you can you can get all your bases covered covered in a in, in a simple way because it is very simple when you break it down to the the very core and 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 uh when you have a system in place you can it it becomes uh, more automatic as it as it becomes habitual and it makes you uh, uh more able to to focus on the higher needs as you get more better at basically taking care of yourself in these simplicities of life 
Definitely. Yeah. But you guys ready to have your minds blown? No. Doesn't even matter that you're here, right? That's anywhere. We just overcomplicate modern life. Oh yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> that modern life could easily be this simple, but there's too many like shiny things and bells and whistles for people to mm-hmm. kind of make it that simple. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, how else am I going to be comfortable if I'm not dragging my LCD screen in that canoe? <laughs> you drag it behind your canoe? You got a waterproof one? Oh yeah. Oh nice. Oh yeah. <laughs> Nice. You're spending your money on things like food and you know stuff that you quote unquote need. I brought a TV and I drag it behind my canoe. It's the things that matter. <clears throat> it's the little stuff. Well, well, it's a big thing actually, but it's. The I was going to say. Uh, I, yeah, I knew. I saw uh, it in your eyes. I saw you going <laughs> for my throat, and I thought, no, not today, Tim. A big screen TV is not one of the little things. <laughs> big is not little. <laughs> well. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Colin put that really well, is that we kind of cover the bases for them, at least in camp. Once we get on trail, they cover those bases themselves. But while we're in camp, those, those basic needs are met, and that allows, them to, uh, that allows them to you know really focus on the stuff that we're teaching them and really take that stuff and uh, think about it deeply rather than worrying about whether or not they're using any of the systems correctly because they're simple and they're easy to understand. Yeah, just to circle back, like to put... Uh, old Maslow's hierarchy needs here like um, you know the deeper points of educational philosophy can't be grasped by somebody who's starving and doesn't get any sleep right right and that's kind of what the point that we're making that if you're if you don't know how you're going to eat your next meal you don't know where you're going to sleep like all the other things are sort of fall by the side until you get those basic things nailed down and that's kind of what the systems-based approach that we have here does is we try to get all those basic simple living questions answered for everybody on day one so that we can immediately start focusing on the content of the course right absolutely which just makes everything more rich so yeah we'll just moving on a little bit to point four is that kind of dovetails really nicely to our ed philosophy and yeah, we went one, two, four, and skipped three. So three will now be four. We don't play by your rules. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the ed philosophy, the educational can, can philosophy. I, I was going to say, I was going to jump in and say, can you please call it educational philosophy? Because whenever you say ed philosophy, it's I think ed of our, our good friend, working class woodsman, who's on, been on our podcast a few times. <laughs> when you say ed philosophy, I immediately think of some nonsense he's talked to me about at some point. Um, yeah. Means a whole. It's a whole other thing. So educational (laughs) philosophy is what we're talking about. I like Ed philosophy because it means both. It means educational philosophy and Ed Butler philosophy. I can't unsee that though. Like I can't. Like anyway. Anyway, so we have a big thing, a big focus here, and especially the first few days or few weeks, everybody hears us say it a lot. And one of those uh, sayings is "process, not product." So we're really invested in learning the process and teaching the process of how to do something. And one of the beauties of that is that it, there's no one right answer. You know, it's not like you're in high school taking a math test and there's the, you know, the right answer is, you know, 374 over pi or something. Who cares? There's no right answer. So when we're focusing on the process, there are a lot of potential right answers. And that's not, I'm not trying to... to be weaselly and introduce some sort of uh, BS educational relativism. That's not the point at all. The point is that when we're focused on the process, there can be other right 
mm-hmm. answers. That doesn't mean if someone's going to like try to carve a canoe paddle and it ends up looking like a fork or something, we're like, hey, it's it's all good. It's all, you know, no, there are definitely wrong answers. There, there's definitely there's, wrong there, answers. There's two wrong answers out in the uh, parking lot right now, yeah. actually. There's definitely wrong answers, but there could be multiple right answers. I think what the right answer is, is does it work? And even more so, does it work for you? So maybe uh, you might carve a paddle that you everyone else tries in the camp, and maybe it does. Maybe they can't use it. And they can't see why how it works. How you use it, but maybe your paddle fits perfectly for you. You know. Case in point, I my paddle is now lovingly referred to as the ten thousand two hundred mile paddle that I've had for I think. 13, 14 years now, and the thing has covered like over 10,000 miles with me. And some people refer to it as the club. It weighs in excess of five and a half pounds. It's made out of one piece of ash. And I don't like whippy paddles, right? It's big, it's bulky, it doesn't flex, and that is perfect for me. I love that thing. And I remember years ago, I was at Canoe Copia giving talks and stuff, and I remember walking around and I talked to a guy who made his own carbon fiber paddles and he told me pretty good story he told me uh we make paddles for the u.s olympic paddling team and they weigh like 0.6 pounds out of carbon fiber and then he looked at me and he said oh i heard you gave a talk you make your own paddles how much do yours weigh and i was like oh my paddle weighs i don't know six maybe seven pounds and you know jaws dropped and people thought i was lying but but i wasn't but you know that's the paddle that i really like but anyway you know focusing on the process and not the finished product allows us it's it's not a template driven course right where you don't have to your thing that you make doesn't have to look exactly like everybody else's like colin said the end the end result is how it works well and i would i would say that it's the the advantage of the process not product isn't just that maybe it's not just that maybe the end one is just for you it's also that if the end result that you make is awful you still know the process that you use to get there and can try again and make another one that's better. Um, I think that's sort of, to me, that's the value of process, not product. It's not that we're um, uh, making something that's very suited to us. It's just that when, um, when you learn things through the process and the, you know, the joke around here, the first one's for learning or screwing mm-hmm. up, right? The first one maybe isn't great, but you don't need, you see very quickly that you don't need a lot of infrastructure to go and try it again um, and make one that is better because now you know what's bad. Definitely. It, yeah. it means process, not product, means that you can replicate the process mm-hmm. at some other time in some other place. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a blog post about this long way back, like 2005, 2006, about the process of making uh, bows, right? And I think we both read about this in that uh, book from 1896 about Swedish craft instruction Sloyd Sloyd yeah so the idea is that you know if the student goes on a short course the students there and the goal is to make a functional bow the instructor does a lot of work on the Mm -hmm. student's bow for example and then at the end of the course the student has a really nice bow and in their mind thinks geez that instructor is awesome they're really talented but the flip the script there and if you're on a process not product thing the instructor never touches the student's bow. The yes. instructor will guide the student and demonstrate on another piece of wood the techniques. But at the end of the process, the student has a bow they made 100% themselves, right? And they're thinking, wow, look at what I made. I'm really talented. Right. So there's the difference. Yeah, and, you know, and again, maybe 
you know, going back to the, you know, the phrase, does it work? Does it work for me? Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it fails. Maybe it doesn't work that time. But now again, you know, the process, you know, what, how to, to, how to do it, how to replicate, how to replicate that. And then, so you, uh, you know, maybe the next time, maybe your next four or five bows suck. Maybe you carve too much one time. Maybe you don't carve enough next time. But again, it's, it's the, you kind of whittle it down and you troubleshoot the system until it works for you until you got it. And then it's ingrained and you, and you, mm -hmm. and you can't mess it up. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty comfortable with how we covered that. Yeah. So the last thing I want to talk about now is that uh, it's the season of bounty here at the like field the HMS school. HMS bounty, right? Yeah, we're we're making we're a shipwrecked. replica. Uh, no, it's the season of wild food awesomeness here. <laughs> so here at the field school, Northern Maine, maybe there's 46 weeks of the year where there's just not a whole heck of a lot of wild foods available out there uh, in the plant world. I mean, there there are always some you can always dig roots and stuff, but we're sort of north of oaks. We don't have a lot of bear. Uh, a lot of nuts and things, but there's so 46 weeks without a lot of stuff, but we're in that six week window where everything is just about ripe. So yesterday we went for a walk. We've got a big abandoned apple orchard uh, just adjacent to the field school. We've got about literally 15 tons of, of cherries, of pin cherries, choke cherries, and black cherries within about a half a mile walk of the field school. Um, so there is so much wild food here now. So many calories that are out on the land. Um, so yesterday, apples, cherries, blueberries, bunchberries, beaked hazelnuts. There's still some raspberries around. Uh, the highbush cranberries are almost ripe, not quite. The nanny berries are almost ripe. So there is just a ton of awesome wild food here now. And one of the things that we're going to work on today is we're going to work on uh, fermenting mm -hmm. foods. So fermenting foods is a great way to take those calories that are available on the landscape now. In mass. Like in mass. so many of them. And make them available to yeah. us, you know, months or, you know, potentially even years from now. So things that we're going to do is we're going to ferment some, uh, we'll ferment some cabbage. We're going to make sauerkraut. We'll make spicy kraut. We're going to make some kombucha. Um, I don't think we're going to make wine today, but that's a great way to take, you know, sweet berries or berries with a lot of sugar in them that you don't like the flavor of and get those calories and and use them later so so definitely the season of bounty here uh so there's uh that bit in the movie forrest gump where they're talking about shrimp and you know for about two hours the hundred different ways that they like to eat shrimp so around here we do that but with apples during the fall course because i don't know there must be there must be a hundred apple trees uh, around here and they're all loaded with apples and we are <laughs> eating one, all of them the one apple tree that just for some reason had no apples on it yesterday yeah so we did uh, find yeah that one tree no fruit yeah. none on the ground nothing just <clears throat> yeah probably right. witches elves little elves could be yeah, I, if you, for those of you in podcast land, Tim is frantically looking from Colin and I trying to figure out what just happened to this conversation about apples. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> elves, apples, elves, elves and elves apple and witches. Apple strudel making elves living in a tree. 
like the Keebler Elves. So you think yeah. it's you think, definitely? Did we I, find the Keebler Elves? We Elf did. I, I think so. We have I to, think that's what, what the. So the, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that we wrap up this podcast and go and uh, cut down that tree and capture these elves because I don't ever want to cook. We want to cut down the tree. We want to get a bunch of cages. We can lock the elves in cages and make them work. For How us. are we gonna? If we cut down the tree, we could get them out of it. We're, we're, we're aggressively agreeing with each other here, Tim. We can trap them and leave the... Why cut the tree? What do you bait an elf trap with? What? Well, apples. Oh, we got plenty of apples. <laughs> Some other trees. Anyway. <laughs> hey, look, gang. I hey. found another apple. <laughs> Thank you for listening yep. to another episode of the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast... Let somebody know. Share it around. Leave us a review wherever you listen to it. Something like that. Um, And again, thank you for listening. Have a great day. Mm